welcome to this month's episode of uh, Juicing the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your critics, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin And it seems like these things get farther and farther apart. But once again, life makes doing this hard on occasion. And we have another show that is a twice a week that requires significantly more attention as it is a sports base and that world is changing uh, by the moment. So check out Juice and the Numbers if you feel like listen to some sports shit. But anyway, we are here today to uh, devote our time, effort and energy to Denny Villeneuve uh, as Corin and I both picked movies from his repertoire. And uh, it's very fitting that we're doing this now since the movie Dune, his most recent opus, has just launched uh, nationwide in theaters as well as on HBO Max. Um, Corwin, have you seen it yet? No, I was planning on going yesterday and then today, and now I think I might go tomorrow. Right on. I uh, I saw it last night. I just really? watched it. Yeah. Uh, someone I brought that up here were like, oh, you should. I was on. That's what I was saying. Like, you totally could because Corbin was contemplating picking it as his movie for our next show. And I told him he could because it's. I've actually already seen it, so it would it would uh wouldn't be the worst thing. Um. Well, we might have to do a, a side segment if you don't pick it, just to talk briefly about it uh, after you get the chance to watch it. But I guess we'll save that for uh for when we when we have that time. Um. So in the meantime, we have two very different offerings from Denis Villeneuve. We have uh, the 2016 film Arrival and the 2009 film Polytechnic. Corwin, do you have any preference on where we start today? I don't think I do, no. All right, well, let's end on a happier note. So let's start with Polytechnic. Um so this one was actually not rated, which I think is a little bit interesting. Also under 90 minutes, which is usually a bad sign. But um, I think this movie ran the course of the story it was trying to tell and did not try to gussy it up, which I think is effective. So two minor points I don't usually bring up, which is rating and runtime. But here we are. Anyway, this I film- got like halfway through the film and was like, I can kind of see where this is going, like. In a general sense. I really hope this is not dragged out for another two hours because I don't think I could do this for two more hours. Right. I agree. <laughs> we will. Uh, oh, man, we'll get into it. Um, so this was obviously directed by Denny Vellon Way. It was he was also one of the collaborate collaborators for the the script, along with Eric Lecca, um, the scenario and dialogue itself being written by Jacques Davids, as how I'm going to assume you pronounce that. This film stars Maxime Gaudet, Sebastien Hubedeau, and Karine Vanas. Um, I'm sure all those names were pronounced wrong. Uh, this film, I don't have, do I have a budget? I don't see a budget. Um, I think it was six million dollars and a box office of 1.6 million dollars, which feels very Denis Villeneuve to start. Um, I feel like there's a very limited audience to this outside of like Montreal and Quebec and, you know, Canada as a whole. Uh, Especially as like, like a director's first feature film, like first, you know, produced film. It's, I don't know. I think that's a very niche subject, especially in the United States. 
It's also the Canadian marketplace for cinema is wildly different from the American marketplace and securing mm. funding can be a lot easier and without guaranteeing any of the market success. For instance, if you the, the Canadian government will give out grants to make Canadian television and film products as long as they are you know made in Canada, uh, which the U.S. government as a whole doesn't really do. Obviously, there's like tax uh, write-offs and incentives that certain local, state, and municipal governments will do. That's why a lot of stuff gets made in Georgia now. Texas does some similar stuff. Uh, but Canada does it on a whole as part of their national arts program. And then they'll help with some distribution in Canada, but they won't, I mean, they're not going to like go to bat for you. It's really just a, an investment into people who want to make art being able to make art. Um, that's a, a hangover from the British system, which it's very, there's a, there's a saying something to the effect of um, the, the BBC is like, anyone can get a show on the BBC. Like, I, I don't, I'm not sure they're legally allowed to tell someone you can't do it. It's just a matter of timing and, and some funding because it's supposed to remain something of a public service. Canada has something like that too. So it's really, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of Canadian content that doesn't hit American audience like uh, fucking fucking Schitt's Creek. Schitt's Creek is a Canadian mm. property that show technically takes place in Canada because they received money from the Canadian government to shoot it there and make it there. And people had to find it. It was streaming on like pop TV or some bullshit and it didn't really get popular until it hit Netflix. After it's like third season or some shit. Kind of like Letterkenny too. Right, exactly like Letterkenny. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really not surprised by this investment to return ratio here. Seems pretty, in addition to what you said, like, where is the market for this very small budget independent film about a very specific incident? Um, yeah, I totally see it. So, anyway. His, his movies don't gross that anymore. No, no, not, now they make less. <laughs> Uh, this film had a tagline, right? I thought I saw that. Uh, no, I must have lied. I must be wrong. I don't, I no longer see a tagline. So clearly I made it up while I was scrolling, uh, which is honestly, again, for the best. This film didn't have any Oscar nominations nor wins, but I will point out that this was nominated for a couple uh, Canadian awards, for Vancouver Film Critic Circle, the Toronto Film Critic Association. Uh, but the most famous award that this film was nominated for was a Cannes Film Festival Award. It was nominated for the CICAE Award for uh, Denis Villeneuve, which I believe is some very long Frenchy-ass acronym, which I think has something to do with... Um, uh, like newcomer or director or some shit like that. I'm guessing I could just Google this. Um, will I though? You basically went from this incredibly knowledgeable place of, you know, discussing English and Canadian cinema to like, just I'm pretty much just making this award up. As far as I'm concerned, I did invent this award. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm now, I'm, I, it, it, the CIA International Confederation of Art and Cinemas. It doesn't tell me what this is about, though. I don't really know what this award is for. Danny Villanueva got nominated for it, so let's assume it was something good. Uh, <laughs> this film is about 
It's a dramatization of the 1989 Montreal massacre during which several female engineering students were murdered by an unstable misogynist. This was my pick, so I'll get started. So I didn't really look into what this was about uh, when I picked it. I picked it because it was one of the few, if not only, Denis Villeneuve films I hadn't watched up to date. And, you know, so you get started and you, you pick up pretty quickly what this is going to be about. It, it, you know, it, it kind of gets right into it, which I think is for the best. And I think one of the first concerns someone should have, or at least I had when this movie got started, is how will this glorify in any type of way what this guy did? And that is an, uh, a prickly point about making films about disasters or about bad people. This was an, uh, a big point of contention behind critics of The Wolf of Wall Street, for instance, because Jordan Beckford, Bu- Buford, uh, whatever the fuck that guy's name Jordan was. Jordan Belford. It's not. It, it, I don't know why we are both incapable of. Yeah, it is Belford. Is it? Yeah, Jordan Belford. Um, part of the part of the criticisms of the Wolf of Wall Street is that it some can read it as Jordan Belford or you know, glorifying him in some way. Uh, whether you take that away as an individual viewer or not, it is still part of the difficulties of representing bad people in a very praised medium. You know, if you see someone like Leonardo DiCaprio doing a really great job of playing a a bad guy who was a real guy who lived a lavish lifestyle and associated himself with things that we consider good. It might be hard to separate out the fact that he was actually a bad guy and and to internalize that. And something similar can be said of doing something like this about a bad guy who really believed he was right or who I don't know, had a manifesto he was sticking by, you know, it it could be seen as a rationalization of this person's attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors. And what I think this movie did a really good job of is not doing that, Um, which again is hard. That is something I want to give a lot of credit for. That is very hard to not do that. And it manages to not do that by really presenting this almost more like a reenactment like a like a documentary mm-hmm. and just changing periodically the vantage points perspectives and flashbacks of various people who you know went through this and painting a picture of the events kind of just as they were and letting that be the emotion you have to reckon with and and reconcile it's was very interesting. It has the artistic style of a dramatized narrative of events and a narrative story with the lack of outside, not perspective, but um, opinion. There's no third person there. Yes, it's very unopinionated and just presenting of facts and events as they had happened, where the only thing that was really added was a, 
uh, fictionalized, you know, relationship connection between two of the students. That's not something that it was like, all right, we need to make this up to, you know, just give it some kind of, we need to make something where there isn't something. It's just, this is an incredibly plausible and because it's fictionalized characters in all likelihood possible um, storyline to it. Like nothing about that is inherently true or false. It's just, okay, it's in all likelihood these women had relationships with people that they had in these classes, whether it be romantic, friend, like strong friendship between like male and female students, that's obviously gonna happen. It's just including a fictionalized version of that, which outside of that, what else was really done to do so? To fictionalize and add narrative and kind of fluff it into what is by all means a narrative story. I mean, really not much. This very much so is just a demonstration of events. And to that effect, I want to ask you this. Why? Why what? Why have a movie that just demonstrates these events? Why make any movie then I don't really fully understand I mean what do you think the point of making this is the same reason you really make any documentary or documentary style film like it's still informing the public it's still creating a visual expression of you know creating and telling retelling stories of history through visual medium you know the same way documentary does but with the focus away from informing and more to captivating these are all you know, countries, I, josh you know like what well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying he shouldn't, because I, I do think that there's a point. It's just the, one of the first questions I asked myself, you know, because it's not a documentary. And it's it, it's so interesting to see something laid out like this that isn't a documentary. And I think part of what made this so effective for me is that it shows, you know, this brutality and how easily it was accomplished without necessarily, you know, having any of the standard, maybe heavy handedness or melodrama of a standard film. Mm-hmm. And which almost added to some of the absurdity of what was happening. You know, the idea that, that a, a student can run down to the security guard and say, women are being held hostage at gunpoint in one of the rooms on floor two, you have to go. And the security card like doesn't give a shit. Uh, you know, this guy reloaded like several times. Must have, I think at least three times his firearm as he was walking around with a semi-automatic weapon, just shooting up the school. And I mean, seeing it laid out without, you know, overly dramatic slow motions or a really heavy score at all or any of that stuff, I think really 
made me as someone who, you know, is has never gone through this. Now that I'm out of school, like they never go through this. Um, I think it gives you the best feeling you could get from not maybe obviously it's still very far from being in a situation like this, but something as, as, as close to it as maybe you can get, which I would argue is the, the point of doing this, you know, because we have seen a lot of instances like this, especially, especially just over the last fucking 10 years. Um, And to see it laid out like this so bluntly, I mean, it's impactful. It really is. Right. Like what I, I feel like, the documentary genre does best is just presenting information, you know, either in an opinionated way or otherwise, but presenting of facts as they happened. And then a dramatized telling of it does a lot better job of, you know, bringing out emotion and and bringing in, you know, just captivating someone's attention and connecting them to the event in a way that the basic retelling of facts doesn't. And I feel like this is just walking that razor's edge between the two and doing the best of both. Right. Cause I, you know, it, Like I wouldn't want to see a version of the movie that spends too much time on the, on the guy who does this, who is actually not even named in the movie, which is also a lovely touch. Because um, if you spend too much time trying to like get into his mind, you might end up with a situation where he becomes more like Heath Ledger's the Joker than you do a world in which he's like Hannibal Lecter, you know, right. where people look at Heath Ledger and as the Joker and go, ah, he had some good ideas in there and you know, people dress up like him fondly and then there's um, an understanding that maybe, you know, he was chaotic and killed people, but it wasn't necessarily a bad thing because he had a point, you know, and that's not what this movie does. And again, that's part of the difficulty of making these movies because where that difference is, is a lot smaller and more subtle than you think. It really is. Uh, and to not dwell on the guy and spend more time showing how harrowing it was. I think really made, you know, really made the difference. I agree completely. This was, was a really interesting. Movie. Very. Yeah. I was very surprised by just, I kind of knew what the general plot line was just that it was about the, you know, Polytechnique Montreal, you know, school shooting but I didn't realize that, I guess it just never clicked for me that regardless, it's still Denis in the way. And it's still gonna be that same style of film, the way it's shot and just beautifully artistic. I was very surprised and I, looking back, I don't know why I was, because I should have been. Well, it's also interesting to see it be so small and sparse when it is Denny Nell, well, Denny Villeneuve, who recently especially has been giving a been given and has done a very good job at much larger in scope and in size projects, you know, like you think Blade Runner uh, fucking whatever 20, 
20 yeah 2049 4029 2499 90210 um most recently dune uh he also did fucking arrival which we'll just we'll talk about in a moment and they're so wildly different in terms of you know like the size of the concept size of the budget size of the names the scope everything and to see so vastly different a style in this while still having you know that art artistic touch that he has I, I think really is one of the reasons that this stands out so much yeah I completely agree yeah god I love him so much yeah, and it, you know, I, I I do want to wrap this up because I've been we've been going I've been going on this for a while, but it, it's it's also interesting that you know, Den, Denis Villeneuve is the one who made this movie, who is a French Canadian person, and this was made twenty years after this had happened, and because mm-hmm. you know when we talk about not glorifying these types of people, there's also I think a level of there needs to be time in between for it to feel right as well, you know, because you look at like what Mark Wahlberg did with the Boston bombing movie that he made, like seemingly started filming the second after that had happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, That left a horrible taste in everyone's mouth because it felt like capitalizing on a horrible and tragic event to make a buck. And this really feels like, someone wanting to have a conversation about something that happened to his community. You know, it, it doesn't, this is, doesn't feel like even the cash grab version of this movie, like what Mark Wahlberg did with that Boston bombing movie. So again, just, just hats off to Denis Villeneuve on this, just really a phenomenal job. And this movie didn't make any money. So it definitely wasn't a cash grab. Yes, in fact, it was a loss. <laughs> all the better. Um, all right, so I guess we'll move into final ratings and reviews. This was my movie. I just finished jerking it off a bunch, but I'll get started. Uh, obviously, I'm going to give this a good score. I'm going to try to figure out where I'm going to land on it while I'm talking, but it is a difficult movie to watch because it is very tragic and it is very sad. And coming in at about 77 minutes, this feels like two hours. Because it, it 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 just is so heavy and can felt so daunting, and to have it feel like it lasted that long in just seventy seven minutes, I mean, I think really also is an indication of what kind of impact it's going to have. This is not an easy movie to watch. It, it's not. You know, Kel asked me afterwards, "Did you did you enjoy it?" And I was like, "That's a really tough word to use." Because I don't know if the answer to that is yes, even though I greatly appreciate what it's doing and how it was executed. And so for that reason, obviously, I I wouldn't go up to someone on the street and be like, you got to watch Polytechnic. But at the same time, I think it is worth everyone's time when you're in a headspace where you feel as though you can handle it. Um, It's not, again, overly daunting in terms of size and scope. And it's, it's not horribly like, I don't, I don't know, like, gory I, it is very bloody in the parts in which it needs to be but it, it doesn't hit you over the head with it um, but it is it, it's it's difficult it's a difficult movie to watch I think I'm probably gonna give this a four and a half because um, it was just exceedingly well done but uh, you know go into it knowing it, it's gonna be a lot 
I'm also just going to give it a four and a half. I mean, I, it's the same feeling of, I can't think of a single thing I disliked about how this film was made or the artistic style choices that it made. At the same time, there's always that like X factor feeling of going between like a four and a half or five, things like that. And I just, I don't know if this has it. You know, I just don't know if it has that X factor. And if anything, it is just absolutely because of just how (laughs) difficult it is to watch. Like when it comes down to it, it's just at the end of the day, the, the subject matter is incredibly heavy. It's yeah, it it it's difficult. But uh ah, all right, let's yeah, yeah, let's let's get on to the next one. This is why we, we did not close with this one. We have a much uh lighter topic of movie to talk about. It's got aliens. Let's talk about arrival um from 2016. Once again, directed by Denis Villeneuve. It is uh its screenplay was written by Eric Hesserer. Hesserer, Heiserer. Heiserer, who knows? Um, no one can say for sure. Based on the uh, story, the story of your life, written by Ted Chong, um, this film stars Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Whitaker. This movie had an estimated budget of $47 million and a worldwide gross of $203 million. This movie, this movie had a tagline. And its tagline is, why are they here? Which could be read as threatening, but also very sassy. And um, that's kind of funny. Why are they here? It's some shitty teen movie. Jerry Seinfeld wrote this movie. (laughs) M? You sure? You know, with the hands. Uh, (laughs) This film won... One Oscar on the back of, oh, geez, two, four, six, eight nominations. It won for Best Achievement in Sound Editing for Sylvan Belmare. It was nominated for Best Motion of the Picture, Best Motion Picture of the Year for Sean Levy, Dan Levine, Aaron Ryder, and David Lindy. It was uh, Best Achievement in Directing for Denis Villeneuve, Best Adaptive Screenplay for Eric Hessier, Heiserer whatever best achievement in cinematography for Bradford young, who became the first African-American to be nominated in that category, which is wild. Cause this was 2017 um, best achievement in film editing for Joe Walker, best achievement in sound mixing for Bernard Garay P strobe and Claude LaHaye uh, and best achievement in production design for Patrice Vermette and Paul Hottie. Um, this film is about a linguist who works with the military to communicate with alien life forms after 12 mysterious spacecrafts appear around the world. Uh, Corwin Heller, this was your pick, so you can get us started. Uh, this is what happens when the most skilled artistic director in the world uh, is just really into hentai. Um I fucking adore this movie. Like, it is just such a well done and beautifully crafted story that it's not like a a twist like you get in Memento or The Sixth Sense 
or the prestige. It's just so incredibly satisfying. At least it always is for me when, you know, I've seen this twice before, but going into it this time, I, it's been long enough where I don't really remember how it goes down and the end result. I know I just don't like, I remember where we finish. I just don't really remember the road to get there. And it's just so satisfying having it all click at the end of the movie and just the creativity and just how plausible everything seems. Just it's a movie about talking to aliens and learning how to talk to aliens. And my goodness, it's just some of the most interesting stuff. And just when you think about what it's telling you is happening and and explaining how this is going and then watching them go through those steps, I, it's just a satisfying film. I don't know how how else to describe the feeling I get. Yeah, and a huge credit to Amy Adams for for doing that because oh my god, mm. she does so much heavy lifting in this movie. Um, and you know, it is such a different take on the alien genre and the uh, contact, I guess, with alien. Um, I don't know, plot line in which there is the need to, because I feel, I feel like oftentimes movies when they're, when there's contact with aliens, either give you aliens that are like, Oh man, we have a device that lets us speak English. It changes the sound waves in to something your brains can understand. Or, we never communicate with the aliens. They speak an alien language and we communicate with guns and bullets or uh, they just do cool shit and we accept it. Um, or the third option, which is the movie is about trying to figure out how to talk to aliens. And then by the end, they just kind of did. I'm looking at you. Um, third is close encounters of a, of a, of a third kind or whatever that movie is called. Third encounters of a close kind. Uh, third, close encounters of a fifth kind. First, first encounters of the third kind. I uh, know. Close encounters of the of the third kind. I think is what it's called. I forget. Sorry, Richard Dreyfus. You're great, but I forget what this movie's called. Which is a good movie, but I it's about like, all right, we gotta we gotta push the right buttons on this here keyboard to make the sounds and tones that the robots or aliens understand. It's like, oh, okay. Um, and this movie does something entirely different, which is to say. The aliens are trying to tell us something and they seem really nice and patient. We just need to figure out what the fuck it is and getting into the idea of what it means to have language and how to properly convey ideas and how to do that in this super wacky way is really cool. And I think if you're a sci-fi guy or gal or them, then you're going to totally dig it. But uh, not but. The only pitfall for me of this movie is that the military is exactly the military that the military is in every sci-fi alien movie, which is you have two days before we send it with bombs over to it to blow it up. And it's like, that's so fucking dumb. God damn it. I hate it. I hate every scene that Amy Adams is not in (laughs) or every scene that that one guy from a serious man is in being a dick. It is so um, cliched bullshit. I hate it. But Amy Adams, wonderful in this. It made so much sense, though, when they described it as when you 
play the game that the Chinese were playing to communicate with the aliens. And every single interaction is in regards to victory, defeat, and winning a you know competition. And it's a war strategy game. Then you know if you only are ever given a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I just thought that was such a beautiful way to describe the exact phenomenon you were just talking about to make it unbelievably plausible. Like, yes, well, that just I agree. makes such insane sense, like innate sense. It's perfect. I, I agree that it's it's the most plausible and best written version of it. But, you know, at the same time, if you've had 9,000 Domino's pizzas in a row and someone has you eat real pizza, you might still not like having to eat more pizza. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just because it was the best version of it doesn't change the fact that when I see it happen, I'm still annoyed because of all the previous versions of it. But I again, this uh, you're allowed to, to, to be wrong in life. Um, yeah. I've got plenty of practice. It, I also love that. Amy Adams in this movie is given a lot of like she's not just I'm the science lady no emotions only the science and it feels like a lot of times in movies where women are given technical jobs it's like I am a cold-hearted science woman look at me do the science I have no other emotions or personality traits at all um because it's like, you know, we're, it's like a very 80s idea of like a, of a strong woman. She has nothing but what she's good at. And that's not caring about how you feel. And I'm instead, a woman in a man's field. I need to prove that I deserve to be here. Right. And it's like, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> um, maybe it was needed in the 80s, but it's not the 80s. And so that's one of the things that's also nice about Amy Adams is that she is very passionate about what she's doing, has a sense of the importance of her own talent at it, gets room to be emotional about, you know, eventually what she sees going down the road with her daughter, um, and also lies. Is <laughs> not yeah. like the, the necessarily like model citizen. Like her kangaroo story is hilarious and amazing. Again, like it's just like such beautiful writing that just draws you in and just it's like, yes, I love this. And man, Amy Adams, I know you've given her so much credit already, but I need to give her some of my own. She's just incredible. Um, what do you think of how they go about showing the differences in opinion that people would have of these aliens coming in and how they would react and aggressively and defensively keep their distance and be aggressive towards them. Like we're seeing with the soldiers and, and the foreign leaders. Well, you know, it's, tough because in addition to the large geopolitical aspect of it you assume that there's also various like physics and uh, biological testing that's going on you know studying x y and z and trying to figure out this that and the other thing and you can't do all of it 
So this film focuses on the language aspect for the research side of things, which, you know, makes sense. And it doesn't really get into too much of the cooperative aspect of things. We don't hear about the other sides almost at all outside of a passing remark about some contribution from, I think, Pakistan that they yeah, have. Basically the... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you. It's basically like it doesn't give off any radiation, doesn't move the air, doesn't create, give off any emissions or anything like that. There's, there's no byproduct of the capsule. It's like it's just sitting there completely just in another dimension. Right. And then the only other times we hear about any of the other nations is China is going to back out. China is going to do this. And it's going to do China. It's it's tough to really get a read on necessarily the plausibility of it, because you would think if and I, I get you don't want to give everything away because life is a big old fucking chess game and politics is a gigantic dick measuring contest. But you would think that if the U.S. is finding uh, the ability to communicate with the aliens and they have it down to a computer program now that can uh, interpret these symbols on the fly, that there would be some amount of sharing of that with the other nations, which would be necessary to avoid exactly what happened and i that's part of like what sucks about that trope is that yeah you know the big dumb geopolitical arm of things makes you say well of course they wouldn't tell them that you got to keep your cards close to the chest in certain regards in an old sense of communicative thinking but it also leads to the exact trope that I find very annoying, which is we didn't communicate properly. And now they're just going to blow some shit up. And it's like, that's so fucking dumb. Uh, but so I don't, I don't there, neither side of it's going to lead to a super realistic conclusion because both sides required unrealistic things to happen. You know what I'm saying? So lose, lose. But I think, again, I do think this movie it's did a really good job. It is a non-zero sum game. Um, shall we uh, delve into the plot some? Sure. So uh, Amy Adams, she is, uh, first of all, she was not nominated for this movie, which I did not remember until um, I looked at the awards as we started talking about this. And that's just wild to me. Because mm-hmm. again. Do you, know what, do you know what the other nominees were? Yes. So that year, the nominees were Isabel Huppert for the movie L. Uh, Natalie Portman for the movie Jackie, Ruth Nega for the movie Loving, Meryl Streep for the movie Florence Foster Jenkins, and the winner that year was Emma Stone for La La Land. And I got to be honest, Corwin, mm. I think I've only seen one of these movies. I've seen parts of La La Land and I've seen parts of Jackie. I, I I don't know if I've seen any others. Okay, no, I think I did see Florence Foster Jenkins, but Loving and L don't sound familiar at all, and I do not think I watched Jackie. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. I'm not going to jump out as being my kind of movies, but it's what it is. Yeah, whatever. 
Uh, so Amy Adams, she is a linguistics professor, aliens land. She's in class while it happens. It's kind of a cool moment because there's no one in class and you go, man, she must be a shitty teacher. And then like turn on the news. Oh, shit. Aliens. Um, and you're a shitty teacher. And you're shitty. <laughs> I'm giving this a terrible review on Rate My Professor. Uh, and then she gets called in. And she goes up. Starts talking to aliens. They put these symbols on the board. She you know, talks to the communicate. Really, the movie for me starts when they start getting into when she writes on the whiteboard over the physics bullshit. Um, what is your purpose here? That really is the beginning of like the meat of this movie. Mm-hmm. And to that effect, the movie does a really good job of let's set this table as fast as possible. And get to what we got to get to. Because, like, if they, you know, we're not going to spend time on the shock and awe of aliens. It, there's no point. This whole movie is about aliens. It's, it's not about the shock and awe of it. And they don't spend a lot of time of, like, all right, Amy Adams, we got to get you up to speed. She's like, she knows why she's there. Like, everyone knows why everyone's there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All I want in a movie. Assume I know why you're there. Because <laughs> you know what? I know why the linguistics professor is by the things that don't speak the same, don't use the same linguistics. I can put yes. that shit together. I, which actually brings me to one of the first moments. I am almost confused as to why Jeremy Renner's character is even in this movie. I honestly miss the part where they explain what his background is. He was a physics and guy. At that point, okay, sure. At that point, I was really just like, I don't really care what his character is. I just assume he's there doing his own stuff and is just a sidekick to Amy Adams. Yeah, that's what's so weird about it is that they introduce him as like some really decorated physics professor or researcher or whatever. And then he gets upset when she scribbles over some of his physics math. And then I don't think he talks one physics after that. I, I don't think he, he does he does a single physic after that. It, it's all just like helping Amy Adams, which obviously was needed because, you know, Amy Adams couldn't do it by herself. It takes a village. But it is also like, dude, why are you doing this? Why are you here? I, I guess this. Why are you here? Why are they here? <laughs> to some extent, I could. Um, like I could accept the argument of, well, it doesn't have any effect on the physics outside of that sphere. So there's really nothing for him to study. He's just kind of doing his own thing. He showed up for the job, signed on for like a, a one month contract to be an army guy. And then he got there and, and there was no army stuff for him to do. So he's just still stuck there hanging out those contracts. Are- you, you know, you don't turn down those good government contracts. Oh God, government. You just don't turn down the good, a good government military contract. You know how much money the military has to burn? Enough that they could have solved global warming 30 years ago. Let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> now I'm sad. <laughs> it's really hot and it's October. Um, <laughs> so you know, then we get into the actual breakdown of, you know, the, the montage, the Rocky montage of Amy Adams learning uh, the alien. And it's great. It's great. It's so interesting looking at the slow progression again of thought and of dialogue and of turning that into a cohesive language. Like, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, like, I don't know, 
grade school age, like five or six or some shit, I had the hardest time wrapping my head around other languages because, well, yeah, because like in my mind, like I remember distinctly a thought I had when I must have been like six or some shit, which is like, yeah, the French are speaking French, but it all means something in English, right? So like, why don't they just speak English? You know, like, like there couldn't be a word for water that wasn't water because if you had a different word for water, well, it still meant water. So why not just say water? You know, like like I I couldn't get Mm -hmm. my brain around the idea. Obviously, I have since then. I was six. Um, But I at the time, I I just couldn't. And it's I ended up like, you know, studying languages for a while, not like in college or anything. But I, I got really curious about it. And so to see kind of that progression of understanding and to see Amy Adams get some level of, you know, some grasp around it based on what she as a linguist understands about language, its formation, its presentation and its interpretation. It is really cool to, to get that like, you know, heavyweight fighter montage of smarts and learning, you know? See, I'm 24 and never did pick up the concept of other languages and everything involved with that. So her doing just the most, you know, basic and just conceptual language stuff and linguistic stuff uh, seems like she's doing just absolutely wild and crazy physics stuff. Because you're not a cunning linguist. No, I'm not. That's right. Oh, we all know. If you don't know by now, then my goodness. Yeah, don't read Corbin's Yelp reviews. <laughs> they are frustrating. Um, I do not have any stars. And 1,000 negative comments? Jeez, someone's been busy. Um, so then it progresses, and you know, like we said, China gets involved, and you know, the, the last act of the film really is the full picture kind of being revealed, you know, because it's almost, you know, like this Amy Adams comes up to a, a blank canvas and has to tear pieces away to see what's underneath it. And she is able to, in real time, understand the alien language as it is written, write it, it, it herself, and understand the purpose of why they're there and what she has been seeing as dreams throughout the entire film, you see these snippets and flashbacks you would think of a daughter and you find out that she doesn't have a daughter. Um, and the core idea is that the aliens experience uh, life or time, I guess, rather non-linearly so they can experience the future and the past simultaneously. And they say they need Earth's help in another 3000 years. And it also unlocks the secret of how Amy Adams is going to help the world work together as a team um, by allowing her to have a memory of a conversation she has with the grand general or whatever of China, a handful of years in the future from then. And there's a fascinating take on both a purpose for the visit and time travel, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's a time travel movie that doesn't tell you it's a time travel movie and then also doesn't really do anything to explain time travel. 
which I think is the best way to express a time travel story. Hey, you're traveling in time. Don't think about it. Enjoy. Or I hope you did enjoy it because now the movie's over. Well, and that's what's so interesting is that it's not, it's not time travel. It's an altered perception of the experience of time. Like Amy Adams doesn't go forward in time to hang out with Amy Adams. Amy Adams can see what she can experience 10 years in the future as she's living it, even though those 10 years have not actually elapsed yet. You know? Yes. Like, it's it's like not streaming. She's just pulling those memories from the cloud after they get uploaded when they happen. And she can just do so whenever. Basically, yeah. I think that's actually probably the neatest way to explain it. There is a central cloud of Amy Adams throughout the years, and she can just draw from all of them. I well, mean, that is what probably, it is, right? Yeah, like that's the aliens just happen to perfect cloud computing. This is just a this is a movie where the Silicon Valley crew learns how to travel through space because they perfected computing and compression. You know, the most optimistic part of this movie isn't that the entire world works together as a team. Um, it's that the most optimistic part of this movie is that we will exist as a as a race <laughs> 3000 years from now. <laughs> yeah. OK, buddy. Jeez. Start investing in some bonds. Yeah, why don't you try coming back in 300 years when we're fucking blasted ourselves into the stone age and you know fucking the arctic is fully melted what kind of uh what kind of uh investment return rate can i get on a four thousand year bond we'll give you we'll give you ten thousand percent buddy if you want to wait until this thing matures to be able to cash this thing in go right ahead what i'm still only worth one percent of jeff bezos what the fuck (laughs) i'm worth a trillion dollars yeah he's worth 900 trillion what can i tell you man amazon's just a really great company oh my god imagine the stock trading that you can do with perfect information from the future that's the real untold story. That's how Amy Adams is able to wow. afford those swanky dinners they see her at in the future. She's yeah, just she's been wheeling and dealing. She becomes Biff Loman from uh, not Biff Loman, whatever his last name is from uh, 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 Back to the Future. Two. Can you never see a movie for the first time now? Because as soon as you've seen it, you already know the plot. Yeah, I've heard this album before. Yeah, I've seen this movie before. Nah, I know how this TV show ends. Yeah, that sucks. It's, I'm glad they didn't go into it too much because genuinely, the more you dig into it, the more like loopholes you can find. And I or the more meaningless like your it. life becomes. It's like you've already lived. What's the point well, of keeping going? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I guess that does bring us to, I think, one of the big emotional points that you didn't know was coming in the movie, which is. Um, so Amy Adams discovers that she doesn't have a daughter, but she will have a daughter 
and her daughter will be uh, the product of her and Jeremy Renner. And Jeremy Renner will divorce her. And he will divorce her and leave and never look at his daughter the same way because Amy Adams tells him that his daughter, their daughter, will have a uh, fatal, very, very rare disease that will kill her before she turns 20, sometime in her teens. And uh, Jeremy Renner didn't want to accept that and leaves. And you basically get the understanding and it ties into a little bit of what Cora and I were just kind of joking around about, which is that Amy Adams chose to do what she did, which is marry Jeremy Renner and have this child knowing full well that her child would get gravely ill and die to mm-hmm. still be able to get to experience that part of her life and to have those memories and with her daughter and the amount of time that she would get to have with her daughter. And that is a wildly powerful sentiment that comes just out of nowhere. Yes. And my, like, it comes back to the, I, see, we're diving into the the time travel, right? And I said how you shouldn't do that because then it gets confusing. And now I'm getting confused. Tell me your confusions, my son. I am confusion. Um, how, like, she talks about, like, not remembering that she called the general, and then she doesn't remember that she never had a daughter, or, like, she thinks they're just dreams, or, like, how do you not have that information always? Well, so she said she didn't have she d- she didn't have a daughter before she got the full understanding of how she was experiencing time. Right. So, so that would make sense. And forgetting the phone call seems super weird, but it's also tough to gauge how far in the future we're talking. Uh, it still seems like something you really wouldn't forget doing. Right. But. I if you told me with all the chaos of that, and if you also told me this was like after her daughter died, so she went through great trauma throughout the years in between those two points, and that conversation just got lost in the shuffle of like all those sleepless nights with working with the aliens, all those sleepless nights waiting for her daughter to die, that it like left her memory, maybe. Uh, I, I, I could buy it then, but it is still weird for her in that moment to not have that recollection offhand since it saved the world. But I am choosing not to really acknowledge the confusion I have from thinking about time travel because the movie chooses not to tell me for 90% of the movie. So I'm going to choose not to care for 90% of how much I should care. I really think that sentence through, but you should get what I'm saying. It is also a little bit funny that the general is like, you said to me, my wife's dying words. And I was like, oh, okay. It's probably going to be some significant, like little phrase. And then Amy Adams goes on like a full speech that lasts minutes in Chinese. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. So your wife didn't die like rapidly. 
it's I don't, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> your wife died a slow agonizing death right like if her those were her last words and she had all that time oh my god that must have been brutal oh god I initially thought of it as just being like oh she said the that thing like oh general wait you don't know me but i can see into the future and to prove it i can tell you your wife's dying word or i can see into the past and i can tell your wife's dying word blah 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 blah. this is why you need to trust me blah 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 like just having a full-on conversation but now i will never be able to see anything but just like her just tearing into like the final just what I assume to be, you know, senile moments of just the person you're closest to in life. Um, and that just makes this movie so much better. Happy to help, buddy. Happy to yeah. help. Thanks, bud. Um, I don't know. Do you have any other notes on the film before we wrap it up? No, no I really liked it. That's all, all right, you yeah. need to say, you know. Give me a give me a rating and a review, big buddy. Uh, I think this movie is really cool, and we just talked about it for like half an hour. So if you don't really understand why I like it, then like I don't know. I, I don't have much to say. You have some listening comprehension skills. You got to work on like that's just that's something else we got to deal with. Um, I'm gonna give it a five. I think I'm also going to give this a four out of five in, in line with my other ones. Um, it's a really, really solid movie. It's a great take. This movie does what I think science fiction is really supposed to do and what science fiction, I think, typically aims to do, though not necessarily all the time in the cinematic world, which is ask yourself questions and to examine some part of the human experience using very non-standard experiences, right? That was the goal of Star Trek. That was the goal of like everything Isaac Asimov ever wrote. You know, that the basic idea being, you know, what makes us human? How do we examine that outside of strict humanity? You know, that's like a you know, Philip K. Dick spent his entire career asking those questions. It's what sci-fi at its best does. And this mm-hmm. is exactly that. So, I mean, it's great. It's a really solid movie. I also completely forgot Forrest Whitaker was in this. Forrest Whitaker should be in everything. He's an amazing actor. The world needs more Forrest Whitaker than is out there. And I think Forrest Whitaker should also be in the conversation for one of our best actors in 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 life. Gotta love good Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. I'm really and proud of him for really just never doing anything about that eye. Like he just accepted it, accepted it as a part of his life. And you know what? I think we're all better for having a role model like that. Just uh, just really doing this thing. Just being some dude named Forrest. Um, uh, I went to high school with a kid named Forrest. Right on, man. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so them them's the, the the movies for this week. Corwin Heller for next week. Uh, what you got? I have Man on the Moon. Jim Carrey. Oh, all right. Love that movie. I haven't seen it in forever. I'm about it. 
Okay. Talking about some Andy Kaufman. Have you seen it? Oh, you're in for a treat. It is a wild ride. Um, all right. So 1999's Man on the Moon. Um, I am going to pick. Um, you know what? I had a movie picked out, but now I'm going to pick The Last King of Scotland. Um, just ooh, to. Okay. Huh? I said, ooh, okay. Yeah, because I have not seen that movie in a. I think I've I think I've seen this movie one single time like a good decade ago. So it's time uh, to revisit some Forrest Whitaker. Uh, that movie is not about Scotland. It is not. But yep. it is about Forrest I Whitaker. Genuinely, truthfully, did not know that going into that film. <laughs> if the King of the Last King of Scotland was black. Wow, how progressive. Very surprising. I'll be honest. I was not. I was first of all way too young to watch that movie, uh, but also very surprised by what it was. <sighs> Love to see it. All right, let's get out of here. That episode probably I would plan on not being released for a while because I'll be away. Which so we actually have an excuse this time for dropping an episode not weekly. Isn't that nice? Um, so. Give it a couple weeks for that. Once again, that's 1999's Man on a Moon, Man on the Moon, um, and 2006's The Last King of Scotland. Check them out before next week's show, two weeks from now's show, or don't, don't give a fuck. Uh, if you'd like to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. We never post from there, so you can follow Corwin on Twitter at Corwin Heller. You can follow myself on Twitter at Joshua B. Tracy. If you'd like to send emails to the show, do so at juice the big screen at gmail.com and uh until next time y'all have a good one Bye.